Um, I invite you to open up your Bibles to 1 John chapter uh, 3. Uh, this is what we're doing this season of Advent. We are asking the question, why did uh, Jesus come? Why did Jesus come? This is a question that really is what the Christmas season is all about. The fact that Jesus comes. And so we're asking this question from the book of 1 John. And so if every single one of us would, would take out a piece of paper and answer that question, why did Jesus come, we would have a lot of different answers because the, the answer to this question is not just simple, it's actually vast and complex because Jesus comes for many reasons. But this question of why did Jesus come gets at the fact that, gets at the, what Advent is really all about. It's about waiting, it's about expectation, it's about anticipation. So we're not only looking to the past of what Jesus Christ has done or why he came, we're looking to the future as to what Jesus will do when he uh, comes again. And so over the past few weeks, we saw like for this in 1 John 2, 28 and 1 John 3, 28. Three, verse 2, that when Jesus comes, that in fact the language of John is that he appeared so that we will be like him. That's the whole idea of glorification. Last week we saw that when Jesus appeared, he dealt with our sin. So there's the fact that our sins have been dealt with. And today is we're looking at verse 8 very specifically. But let me read the few verses, 1 John 3, verses 7 through 10, to give us a larger the larger context to understand what the apostle is writing. So let's give our careful attention to this book that God has given to us, this book that we love. 1 John 3, verses 7 through 10. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him. And he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, for it, nor is the one who does not love his brother. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Friends, let me pray for us. Father God, we thank you for your word that you have given us your, and how you tell us why your son has come. And Father, we pray that you would minister to us now. Encourage us with your word. Convict us of our sin. Not to condemn us, but so that we would share in the life that you have given us through Jesus Christ. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Yanmi Park, she is the author of a few books, but one of her books, and she shares her story in this one particular book entitled In Order to Live. She shares her story of living in North Korea. And while she was living in, in North Korea, she had no idea that she was not living in the greatest country in the world. You see, and this is well known, that life in in North Korea is a bubble. It is a closed system. That it is that when you look at influences from outside your country, that you are meant to treat that with skepticism and even to doubt that. 
And so she shares her story, and like as she's sharing her story, like her father was in prison for simply trading salt and other spices. And so she fled her country at the age of 13, along with other family members, to go to China and then came to the United States. But if you would read this book, or if you would just pay attention to world news, what would it, here's a question that you may wonder. What would it take for North Korea to be liberated? For the people in North Korea to be liberated? It truly would be more than a leader change. It, it would be a lot more than a regime change. Because when people would, would talk to Yeonmi about life in other countries, and she would think, that sounds wonderful, that sounds nice, but how in the world do I know that you're telling me the truth? That experience that she had should make us think about the culture of sin. Because this is the culture that the devil has cultivated in the world. That we need more than right information. We need more than right knowledge. We actually need transformation in our hearts. In fact, we need someone to come, and in the words of Paul, we need someone to come and destroy the works of the devil. We need someone to come and to deal with the culture of sin that the devil has created. We need someone to come and to deal with the culture of isolation and loneliness that the devil desires for us to have. If you look at the writing of Paul, like specifically Romans 5, Paul talks about the origin of sin and roots it in humanity, and specifically Adam. John does something different. He goes, in fact, deeper. He goes, in fact, further. He highlights the start of sin is actually not humanity, but with the devil. That the devil is the one who practices sinning, and he has been practicing sinning from the beginning. But John does something else. At while he notices and, and wants us to see that the devil is the one who has been sinning from the beginning, he wants us to see the fact that we are allies in the devil's sin. And so not only do we need someone to come and destroy the works of the devil, because someone could come and destroy, certainly God could come destroy the works of the devil, but that would in fact include us. We need someone to come and rescue us while simultaneously destroying the works of the devil. And that, friends, is the good news that, Paul, that John is talking about for us. But I want us to focus this morning on this one verse, 1 John 3, verse 8. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Let's just walk our way through this verse. And as we walk our, our way through this verse, the first question to consider is, what are the works of the devil? What are the works of the devil? And our translation notices that the fact that the, the devil's work is vast, it's complex, hence the plural, works, not work. Jesus came to destroy the devil's works. There's this idea that Jesus comes to destroy the work of the devil in their totality and entirety. Because what the devil has done is that the devil comes and he vandalizes God's good creation. He vandalizes God's creation in order to spoil it, to corrupt it, to mar it. And he does this in our hearts morally where we are enticed to sin, that every part of our lives is marked by sin. He 
does this within our bodies physically, that there's disease and there's death, that we will die. And that is something because of sin. He does things within our mind, that where we are now inclined to error, that we will actually be deceived and accept lies as the truth. So like these are just a few of the works of the devil that we're talking about, but notice the totality of them. And now we don't, within the Reformed tradition, we don't like to really talk about the devil or think about his works, but it's helpful at times. There's this one writer from Puritan England, Thomas Brooks. He wrote this book, Precious Remedies Against Satan's Devices. It's a great title, great book. But the point that he's making is that if you actually know what the devil does, then you're able to look out for them. But also when you know what Jesus does, not just the devil, but also when you know what Jesus does, you're able to fight the, the devil's schemes. And so still thinking about this question, what are the works of the devil? Just thinking about some names from the Hebrew. Like the Hebrew name for the devil is Satan. Satan is the accuser. That is what his name means. So the devil accuses you of your sinfulness. The devil accuses you of your guilt. But here's the thing. His accusations are not in imagination or fantasy, the devil's accusations are in reality. The de- devil can look at you and point to you and say, you're a sinner. You're a rebel against God. You are a vandal. You are an ally of mine. The devil can do, look at you and accuse you of all these things, but he is an accuser. Another name for the devil is the father of lies, that he loves to deceive you. He loves this. And we fall for his lies over and over again, that he loves to trick you into being an ally of his and rebel against God. See, even in the very beginning, the very first sin, Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve rebelled against God, but even before they actively rebelled against God, they were deceived and they fell for the devil's deception. Did God really say this? See, we fall for the devil's lie so many times when we think that lust will give us happiness instead of love. We fall for the devil's lie when we think that gossip won't undermine or damage a relationship. We fall for the devil's lie when we compare ourselves to others because comparison is the thief of joy. We fall for the devil's lie thinking that sin will give us true joy and true pleasure and true life when actually sin will lead to death. Another thing that we see from here from 1 John is that the devil is the father of sin. See, but it's not enough to know these things. That here's the devil, he's the accuser, he's the father in life of lies, he's the father of sin. It's not enough just to know these things. Because in fact, if you just know these things, there are some limited value. We need to remind ourselves of actually what Jesus has done for us. Robert Murray McShane, he's known for really a very intense Bible reading plan. I'd rather you know this one quote that he says than this intense reading plan. But he says, for every look that you have at your sin, take 10 looks at Christ. Just hold on to that and remember that. But because he knows something about what the devil does, he, he knows that the devil is, at, is actually the one who accuses you. 
But he also, McShane knows something that Jesus does for you. That Jesus is actually the one who advocates for you. That while the devil wants to accuse you and, to, and condemn you, McShane is, is know, knows the truth of Romans. That in him, in Jesus, there's now no condemnation. So he, here are the works of the devil. They're vast and they're compl- and complex. But let's understand something about what Jesus does. That unlike the devil who accuses you, Jesus is the one who advocates. He intercedes for you. But just thinking about that, when the devil is is accusing you, they're not rooted in fantasy or imagination. They're rooted in truth. And yet Jesus is able to advocate for you. And he's able to intercede for you. Unlike the devil who lies and deceives you, Jesus tells you the truth. Instead of bringing you death like Satan does, Jesus brings you life. So this brings us to the next question. How does Jesus destroy the works of the devil? How does Jesus destroy the works of the devil? In in John's writing, and I've said this over the past few weeks, that this word appear means revelation, means manifestation. It's the language of the incarnation in John's uh, writing. But he appeared to destroy the works of the devil. This is why he came. And I want us to highlight now the incarnation. Like we began, in fact, with our call to confession, our call to worship, sorry, from Hebrews 2, 14 through 18. But Hebrews 2, 14 tells us exactly how Jesus destroyed the works of the devil. That through death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil. So right there, it's through Jesus' death that the devil's works are destroyed. But he continues to verse 17. Therefore, he had to be like his brothers and sisters in every respect that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of, of God in order to make propitiation for the sins of the people. So here at Hebrews and John, they're getting at this wonderful, wonderful idea of what theologians call Christology. Like Christology is the study of Christ and it's broken down into different subjects. You have the person of Christ, you have the work of Christ. And this is both a helpful distinction and unhelpful. And that is a distraction. I want to highlight that. But because you cannot separate who Jesus is from what he does. But when you think about who Jesus is and what he does, just to go through Jesus' story for a moment, there are what theologians use different words to to express Jesus' different elements in Jesus' story. You have the incarnation. This is the advent where God becomes man. Christmas. There is the atonement. What does Jesus' death actually accomplish? There's Good Friday. There's the resurrection where Jesus defeated death and he is raised from the grave. There's Easter Sunday and there's the ascension where Jesus is exalted and he goes to sit at God's right hands. But just to focus actually on the atonement for a moment. Because within the doctrine of atonement, there are different metaphors to help us understand what Jesus accomplished upon the, on the cross. In fact, like last week, there is one specific idea of the atonement, and that's the idea of penal substitution. Where Jesus is our substitute upon the cross. That Jesus is the one who received the punishment that we deserve, but Jesus is our substitute. He dies upon the cross in our place. 
I think it's Isaiah 53. In my place condemned he stood. That's not Isaiah 53. That's a hymn. That's a hymn. That's not scripture. But it's a biblical truth. But the idea of penal substitution is this idea that Jesus died in my place, that he became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. Now that's scripture. That's 2 Corinthians. But another metaphor, not just that, so there's penal substitution, but another metaphor, that 1 John 3, 8, that Hebrews 2, this Ephesians, this Colossians, that is, helps us understand what Jesus did upon the cross is Christus Victor. Christ is victorious upon the cross. And if you know Jesus' the story of his death well enough, Jesus, with his last breath, he declared, it is finished. But what is finished? Well, he appeared to destroy the works of the devil. And Jesus had this clear understanding of why he came. That he said this in Luke 4, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and the recovering of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. See, with Jesus Christ, not only do we have someone who has come to destroy the works of the devil, we actually have one who has come to rescue us from our sin. To liberate us from our captive in bondage. See, Jesus destroys the works of the devil through his death. This is incredible. It is through his death upon the cross that Satan's works are destroyed. And just to highlight, go back to the works of the devil and to connect the, the gospel truth here. It is through his death upon the cross that the Satan's accusations lose their power. How in the world is that the case? Well, it's because Jesus goes to the cross to die for your sin. That your sins, true, true sins in, in reality, are placed upon Jesus. And yet Jesus, in his perfection, in his obedience, that he lived a life that we should have lived. And so when, as he dies upon the cross, his perfect sacrifice satisfies God's wrath. And so wonderfully, that Jesus is our substitute and, our, and that he, by God's wonderful work, that we are so united in Christ that our sins are punished and fully paid for. That we are in Christ and his righteousness is given to us. We are hidden in him. And so Jesus never accuses you, but he advocates for you. In fact, when the devil accuses you, Jesus is the one who defends you against the true accusations because he actually went to the cross to die for your sin. That Jesus died for you, a sinner. To continue with this, that it is actually through the death of Jesus Christ that Satan's lies are exposed for the sham that they are. Sin does not give you joy. Rebellion against God does not give you happiness in life. It does not lead to flourishing. No. The way of the devil leads to death. And it's through the death of Jesus Christ upon the cross that the power of sin, which enslaved us, 
where we are the ones who are in, capti in captivity to sin, Jesus goes into that prison, breaks the chains of our sin, turns around with those chains, and smacks the devil upside the head. That's what Jesus does. The, Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. And it's through the death of Jesus Christ that you, who were once allies of the devil in his rebellion against God, Jesus makes you his friends. That Jesus is the, this friend of sinners. That Jesus comes to us. when we were orphaned by the fall. We were orphans. And Jesus adopts us and makes us children of God. It's here we are, it's through the death of Jesus Christ, where we, who deserve God's judgment, we now share in the inheritance that our Savior earned. And so when Satan vandalized our lives with sin and inflicted us with sin so thoroughly, what Jesus does, this is Ephesians, Jesus makes us his workmanship, his masterpiece, for we are the workmanship of God, created in Christ Jesus for good works. And it's through the death of Jesus Christ that the works of the devil are destroyed. Hallelujah. And amen. Like, I'm reading this, I'm just thinking, let's go. This is awesome. As we just sang earlier, we were singing earlier, but as we, go through, as we go through this gospel rhythm, what does, what do our lives now look like? What do our lives now look like today when Christ had destroyed the works of the devil? But frankly, as I, even as I ask that question in our hearts, how many do you hear that with cynicism and doubt and unbelief? It's like, you know, that seems too good to be true. Like, just look at the world. There are wars Let's look in our own lives. We don't even have to look across the globe. Let's look within our own lives. That our lives are marred by brokenness, of dealing with brokenness within the work, within our family, within our own lives, within sin and physical disease and hardships. I'm losing my breath right there. Like we can just talk about the sufferings and the afflictions that we are going through every day of our lives here. But you know, it's the devil's goal to have you respond to those afflictions and those sufferings and hardships and to turn around and curse God. The devil's the one who wants to beat you down so that you would turn around and spit upon God. That is not God's purpose for you. That is not what God wants for you. God wants you to know a few things, and this is actually all because Christ went through the cross and died for your sins, that your afflictions, your hardships, and your suffering will turn into glory. That sounds too good to be true, but it's true. But do you know that your life right now is the hardest and the worst life that you will ever live? That's completely opposite a book of like 15, 20 years ago of your best life now. This is actually your worst life now. The life that in glory will be your best life now for all eternity. That the hardships that we endure today are short and momentary, that they will end. And you can say that, Lord, thank you. Thank you. That the hardships that you face today will end. That if we actually knew what God knows in his wonderful sovereignty and planning, 
that if we knew what he knows, we would actually be able to look at our affliction and our suffering and our hardship and say, thank you. Like there's this incredible truth of Romans 8 that all, God works all things for the good of his people. That seems, and once again, too hard to believe and too good to be true, but in the gospel, because of Christ, it is true. The fact that Jesus appeared, that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil, this is a truth that we need to remind ourselves over and over again because Jesus defeated the powerful devil. But you know what the devil is? He's a powerful sore loser. He's a sore loser, but he is a loser. The devil is a loser because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. That, and one writer put it this way, that the devil nailed his own coffin when he put Jesus upon the tree. When Jesus went to the cross, the devil nailed his own coffin. And that is because Jesus came to remove sins, to remove our sinfulness, because that is one of the works of the devil. And, and in doing so, Jesus has destroyed the works of the devil. And the call of, of John is to not compromise with sin. As, as Jesus came and was victorious over sin, that he destroyed the works of the devil. But here's the good news. We do not have to be victorious over sin because Jesus is the one who's victorious. We're simply called to be faithful to him. And by and what faithfulness to Christ looks like is looking to Jesus as the one who is victorious over sin, clinging closely to that and clinging closely to him and his work on our behalf because he came and he appeared to destroy the works of devil for one simple reason. He loves you. That is incredible news. And let us pray and let us sing and rejoice in this wonderful work that Christ has done for us. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this good word. That your son appeared to destroy the works of the devil. The work of the devil being accusation and lying and deceiving and tricking and fooling us. And yet the works of your wonderful son. Exposing those lies for the sham that they are. Advocating and interceding for us on our behalf. He did this because he died upon the cross. It was through his death that he destroyed the works of the devil. And so, Father, we thank you that we have a high priest who's able to sympathize with us, to identify with us, to have solidarity with us, to know exactly what we're going through, that your son experienced the hardship and the afflictions and the suffering of this life, and he ministers deeply to us. And we thank you for your son's wonderful work. And we pray for your spirit, that your spirit would sow these wonderful gospel truths deep into our hearts so that in the coming days and weeks that we would be faithful to you, that we would be faithful to you because of the victory that you have over Christ, that you would help us to have greater joy instead of despair, to have greater hope instead of indifference, to have greater love. And so, Father, we pray that your spirit would work deeply in our hearts so that we would know you more, more deeply and have greater joy from you. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.